This morning we're starting a new series called God Is. I wanted to start off by continuing with what we did at the very beginning of the service and what Kirsty did a little bit um, as she was leading us um, during that um, set of, of songs of worship. And just declaring what God is like. God is good. He is kind. He is loving. He is love and the author of love. He is mighty. He is a miracle worker. He is the victorious warrior. He is life. He is holy. He is creator. He is unchanging. He is truth. He is faithful. He is encourager. He is rescuer. God is deliverer. God is wise. God is our provider. God is comfort and the father of all comforts. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is everywhere and is also here with us this morning. Whether we are in this room or joining online or watching this recording at a later date. God, thank you that you are here. Help us to know you in truth and for that truth to be the start of us experiencing what you're like or the continuation of us experiencing what you're like in the reality of of the situations we face in our lives. Amen. We start a series this morning. God is, is God. Big claims about God and seven big questions about who he is. These are questions, these are claims well, claims that we see in Scripture and questions that we may ask ourselves or our colleagues and friends and family may ask or people who are leaving the church, not this church, but other churches around the Western world, people leaving the church because of questions that they come up, uh, so, so that come up. The church in the UK is declining. This is a chart um, that was published in um, in May of church denominations across the UK. Notice the church in Wales isn't doing too well. That was the place where there was a revival. Welsh Presbyterian church declining at the fastest rate. Welsh independence church in Wales we're this blue Baptist there in decline. That's our denomination. That's our church family who are growing. Well, actually, it's pretty much just those denominations that um, started post 1900s. Elim, New Frontiers, FIC, that's the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, Redeemed Church of God, and Vineyards. Growing churches, growing denominations. And what we're seeing in the Western world is the rise of the nuns, not the nuns with habits, but I thought, as I said it, people would think straight away of nuns with habits, but the people who have no religious affiliation or faith. We're also seeing the rise of the duns, the people who are done with church and done with faith, 
This is not just in the UK, this is also in the US and Canada and so on, mainly in the Western uh, world. The rise of the nuns, the rise of the duns, and the rise of the spiritual but not religious. This is a chart that shows the faithlessness of what we used to call a Christian nation. I'll stand out of the way, sorry, so you can see. In our village, in Charlefont St. Peter, in the 2011 census, 67% said that they were Christian. That would have been about 8,500 people that affiliate themselves with Christianity, but not necessarily with God's church or living each day following Jesus. This um, was, the research was completed in March this year um, and was published a few weeks ago. And what we're seeing is the rise of the nuns and the duns and the SBNRs um, across our nation and the church shrinking. And I want to do something about that. Anyone else want to do something about it? Yeah. I want to see God's church thrive. I want to see God's kingdom advance and see the beauty, the absolute beauty of when someone's life is transformed by the grace and love and power of God. I want to see lives turned right around, turned the right way up because they've met the living Jesus. And in my lifetime, I want to see that chart change, not just in England, but also in Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland, nothing against the, the rest of Ireland as well, but just thinking about the UK because that's what they were focused in on. We've got wonderful, a wonderful pocket in London with 28% would identify as non-religious. That means that the rest would say that they have a faith of some description. That's skewed because people from elsewhere in the world come into London and in London you've got so many churches that are growing and thriving like the redeemed church of God but they're not um, British born churches and the immigrant church is bolstering the st statistics of the church in the UK I want to do something about the church in the UK and I want us as a church to, to be part of a movement or to continue to be part of a movement that does something about this data. One of the reasons people are leaving faith is something goes wrong. It could be a personal pastoral situation, illness, sickness, unanswered prayer or seeming unanswered prayer. You prayed for a miracle, there wasn't a miracle. It might be that people leave faith and their faith is, is deconstructed because of church leaders falling from grace or not hitting a certain standard that people had for them. What we're seeing, especially in, in the mega churches of the US, so many celebrity Christian leaders, prominent Christian leaders resigning or being fired by churches due to their moral failure. 
And what happens is it triggers people exiting church and exiting faith in Jesus Christ because they start to question, they start to doubt. And they start to think, well, if they're like that, if they've done that, what's God like? And what happens is they begin to question and begin to to, um, think through their faith, reassess their faith, and leave church and leave faith. The Duns. 20 or 30 years ago, the group The Duns didn't appear on church statistics. They're increasing because of people who, because of different situations, deconstruct their faith. But I want to suggest that actually there's a positive thing with deconstruction. Okay, if you found really bad mold on some wallpaper in your home, what would you do? This is not a rhetorical question. What would you do? Danny says, wash it off. This is really bad mold, though, Danny. Really, really bad. Ask Kirsty. <laughs> what would you do if you found really bad mold? Let's, let's raise the, the level of this, then. This is not your bedroom. It's one of your other family members. Maybe your child's bedroom. Sort out the ventilation. Strip the wallpaper and sort out the problem. You, you rip things, things from the wall, you cleanse it, you sort out the ventilation because actually that's a long-term solution. Good thinking. What do we do when we find something in our faith that isn't right? Well, some people just deconstruct. And they get rid of it. God didn't answer my prayer as I thought he would. I'm going to get rid of God. It's like going to a restaurant and having a bad meal and then saying, I'm never going to any restaurant ever again. But actually, there's a positive thing with deconstruction because when we deconstruct something, we can put something back that is better. It's a long-term solution. I love that. Good thinking. Yeah. (laughs) And actually, it enables us, positive deconstruction helps us let go or get rid of some things in order to take hold more firmly of others. And during this series of God is and is God, we'll be asking some questions about some fundamental things about God's, grounding them in real life, and enabling one another to let go of some things in order to take hold more firmly of other things. Jesus did this in his teaching. He said, "Um, you have heard it said, this is from Matthew chapter five, you've heard it said that that, uh, you're to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus took something that was in people's belief system and he deconstructed it and replaced it or reconstructed something that was more positive. In fact, not just Jesus doing it, but when we take our Bibles and open them and open our minds and our hearts to God's Spirit and say, God, would you speak to me as I come under the authority of your words, we are entering into positive deconstruction. Let me give you an example from Wednesday. I read Isaiah chapter 42. 
In verse 8, it says, I am the Lord's, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or, praise to, or my praise to idols. And I'm thinking, I don't have any idols in my house or in my room, in the summer house that I, I was praying in, little kind of models. But there are things that take my focus, that hold me back from being completely sold out for God and for Jesus. And in this verse, through this verse, God's spirit through God's word was like, bam! Sort it out. Be sold out for me once again. And on that Wednesday morning, it it was through God's word, by his Holy Spirit, I was able to say, as a result of reading this verse, God, I'm getting rid of those things. And once again, I'm saying, anywhere, anything, any time for your glory. We positively deconstruct. I had started to believe and get comfortable in, in just the way things are. And once again, God challenged, challenged me by his words. Positive deconstruction and then reconstruction. And this morning, we're going to think about God being good. We're not going to rip it apart and then put it back together completely. Some things will be implicitly deconstructed and positively reconstructed. Other things will be just, uh, so other things will be explicitly done in that way. If I were to say God is good, what would be the next phrase that you would say? All the time. God is good all the time. And maybe you know that from some verses or a song. And I want us to think about God being good all the time this morning. There's, uh, this Psalm uh, 136 verse 1, the phrase God is good is repeated throughout Scripture. But we see in Psalm 136 something about God's goodness, his love enduring forever. It goes on and on and on and on. God is good all the time, full stop. He is worthy of approval. That's a kind of definition of good that that we might use. But when we come across different things in our lives where we might question, is God good? We need to understand what good means. So who defines good. I had a um, Father's Day card from, um, well, each of the children made one, but Theo's one, um, he had painted a yellow splodge on a card, and either he or or one of the members of staff in nursery had had drawn a face, and then he put penne pasta around, and it was a sun. Absolutely wonderful. It's a bit like this painting here, a child expressing something on a page. In comparison to the wonderful paintings that Caro and Johansi have um, done and put up in the corridors, part of Buck's uh, Arts Festival, which one is good? Theo's painting of a sun, actually not just a painting, it was a collage because there was penne pasta. All the works of art out in the corridor, 
Who, who, who decides? Actually, goodness cannot be defined by us. It's like a school saying, um, we're a good school. And then another school saying, we're a good school. But the two definitions of good could be very different. Or how many students have we got, or just past students? I know, um, Sam, you're back. Um, Sam, have you done any essays this, um, this term? Yeah. Yeah. Did you get to define what good was for that? No. No. Because if Sam got to define what good was, he would not just write the essay, but say, this is a good essay. A. 90%, 100%, sorry, Sam. Yeah. We can't define good ourselves. We need something or someone external to us and a higher body to define what good is. That's why we have wonderful people called Ofsted <laughs> defining the standards in schools. Hey, there are, they are wonderful people. Sometimes the way that they do their job isn't. But what they have done is they've set out a system that says a school in Bournemouth that is deemed good is the same kind of standard as a school in Bolton that is deemed good. And a private school, well, private school would, may not have the same kind of standards and things, but a good school there, there's, there's a private school in Jared's Cross is the same as a private school in terms of the, the standards of good as another private school maybe up in Scotland. An external body has defined what good means. And what we see in Scripture is God doing just that, defining what good is. We read in Genesis chapter 1, he's been doing it since the very beginning of the earth. We see here, God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was very good. God makes the statement and the definition of what is good and what isn't. In that garden, we see God also setting out uh, an understanding of, of, of good and evil. God is the one that, deems, uh, that defines what is good and what is not. So as we positively deconstruct, or whether you are, are in a place either, um, or have been in a place where you've just been questioning, is God good? What definition of God have you been using? Is it the one that we get from Scripture? Or is it the one that is based on how you feel? Or on your circumstance? Yesterday, um, I went to Sainsbury's and um, God is good. I got a parking space. Isn't that wonderful? I even took Theo so I could get into the parent uh, kind of place. But there wasn't space. So I drove round and then I got to the top. We got to the kind of the, the, the upstairs in the Sainsbury's car park in Beaconsfield. And what was there? A car park space. I said, Theo, God is good. We've got a car park space. <laughs> I also then said, God is good all the time, Theo. Um, <laughs> making sure that um, I don't just preach it, but also um, raise the children in, in that right way. 
I wonder, though, whether sometimes we have this understanding in our minds or it can creep in. God is good because I've had a good thing at the moment, a good result. I've been praying and God came through with that prayer. I was praying for a miracle and the miracle happened. God is good. Or um, I feel really blessed because the sun is shining and I've got a cool paddling pool. God is good. And then when it rains, like it did yesterday, and we bought barbecue, barbecue food, <laughs> does it mean God isn't good? No. God's being good is not dependent on our circumstances or feelings. God is good in a waiting room in a doctor's surgery or hospital. Whether we feel it or not. God was good even when I didn't feel God's goodness in 2016 when a close friend committed suicide. God is good and was good and always will be good when my brother's best friend was tragically killed in 2011 or when Nikki's brother's best friend was tragically killed by a car. God is good even when friends have betrayed me or lies have been said about me. God has been good even when my heart has been broken and dreams squashed. I reckon each of us would have an understanding of a situation where we may not have felt God's goodness. We may be in that situation at the moment. And that the circumstance that we're in or the way that we feel is it's as if, God, I don't feel your goodness. I don't actually feel anything of you. Where are you? We'll come on to the God is everywhere message in a few weeks' time. But at the moment, I don't think you're here and I don't think you care. Many of us would have had those moments. But it doesn't change the fact that God is good. But what we need to to know is what will anchor us to Jesus when we cannot see his goodness. What will anchor us to God the Father when we cannot feel his goodness and closeness. What will keep us from deconstructing like, like that and leaving faith and the church And what will help us to just know, even though I don't feel it, God is good. What's going to help us? In a moment, I'm going to just say three things from from Scripture. But I think it's really important that we recognize that Scripture itself is God's gift to us to help us in these situations, as well as other things that Scripture is good for, but to help us understand that he is good. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we read, sorry, chapter 16, verse 12, we read, to remember the wonders God has done. And in the times where we cannot feel God's goodness or see his goodness, we need to go back into scripture and ask God to remind us of what he has done in the past. How has he shown his goodness throughout scripture? And as we do that and pray, Holy Spirit, will you show me God will show us 
how he has been good in the past. And by his spirit and and his truth, he will encourage us in the present that will strengthen us for the future and help us to stay in the faith with him. I remember a message that Malcolm Duncan, former senior pastor here, um, shared during a season where he was losing members of his family for different ways, very tragic ways often. And he stood very humbly and honestly and said, I cannot feel the goodness of God at the moment, but I'm choosing to trust that what it says in the Bible, that God is good, is true. And I'm praying that my feelings will follow. I found that so profound when he said it, but I found it so helpful since then in the times where I cannot see or feel God's goodness. As well as going into scripture, we need to encourage one another and help one another to um, know that God is good even when we don't see it or feel it. And to remind um, each other, one of the most powerful messages throughout scripture is that God is a good father. And it's appropriate to talk a little bit about this on Father's Day. Prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells the story of a son that goes off and and, uh, there's a father who waits, looking for the son to return. And the son comes to his senses and starts going back. And the father runs to the son to embrace him and welcome him back. And in that story, we see God the Father longing for his children to experience his goodness and his kindness. Longing so much that he will run to his children whilst they're still a long way off in order to express his goodness so that they can experience his goodness. That's God's heart. Father God um, wants us to know his goodness. Father God only does good things for his children. That's a hard pill to swallow, a hard truth to swallow when you're not feeling the good things. I'm just looking around this room. I I, I know different situations that you have or, or are going through. So how can that be true? It says in Psalm 84 verse 11, Matthew 7 verse 11 and James 1 verse 17 that God only does good things for his children. So how can that be true if we're not feeling it? So we come back to the heart of the Father who wants us to experience his goodness in the difficulty, uh, difficult situations and he will either change the situation or change us through it. Father God longs to lavish his love on us. We read that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, we, we see that Father God chose us and wants us to experience his kindness and blessing, not just here on earth, but in eternity with him as well. Father God is working for good. Romans, 20, uh, Romans 8, verse 28. Again, not a very pastoral verse. Don't send it to people when they're really raw. Hey, don't worry. God's working for the good of those who love him. Don't send that. That's not pastoral. Pray it over them. Get on your knees and pray it over them. 
and then at a right moment say, God will lead you through this and you will experience his goodness. But don't just throw the verse at them. Do something that the verse is encouraging you to do and that's pray. God the Father will work and work for the good of his children. Father God disciplines us for our goods. Hebrews 12 verse 10. That's a difficult one too as well, isn't it? Discipline for our goods. How many of us have, have rebelled against our parents at different times? And they may have said, it's, it's for your own goods. We come back to the Father's heart that will run to those who are far off so that they can experience his goodness, that, that he longs to express his goodness to his children and he will bring discipline at times. I want to share three lessons, three things that I found helpful and I think are, are right um, for us as we think about God's goodness and the times we don't see it or feel it. The first one is a lesson from Habakkuk. Two lessons, in fact, from Habakkuk, a three-chapter book, but two lessons I want to just draw from it. First of all, Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 1 says, I will stand like a watchman looking out for God to answer me. Habakkuk had a really hard time. The, the book isn't a joyful book. If, if you're looking for something to read before going to bed that will make you feel nice and warm, Habakkuk might not be the right book. But in the difficulty that Habakkuk goes through, in chapter 2 he declares, I'm going to seek out God's answer. I'm going to choose to seek it out in comparison to another Old Testament prophet called Jonah who got in a sulk and a grump and just went away and hid. And God tried to show him his grace but Jonah just threw God's grace back at God's. Lesson from Habakkuk. Seek out God's. And second lesson, choose to worship God's. Believing the truth of Scripture is actually a true description of, of God in all of his goodness. As we read in these verses, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, and this is the intentional decision of Habakkuk, I will rejoice in the Lord's. I will be joyful in my God's, in God my Saviour. As we do so, we see that God strengthens us as we worship. He makes our feet like the feet of deer, enabling us to tread on the heights. A lesson from Habakkuk 2, seek and worship. An invite from David. David wrote Psalm 34 when um, his family was in a mess, his son was out to get him, and David was, was hiding and was kind of hitting rock bottom. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. God's goodness is, is to be experienced, not just to be known. And David, as he declared that, um, that verse in Psalm 34, so actually, let's experience God's goodness. 
Even in the situations that we find ourselves in, let's experience it and choose to experience it. I made a smoothie on Friday. And, well, actually, one of the children made it with me, and we just put loads of different things in, yogurt and fruit and things like that. We even put some chocolate spread in. <laughs> Don't tell Nikki. <laughs> Sorry. I was the one that finished it. And we poured it into glasses. And I just grabbed it and knocked it back. And within a moment, it was all gone. And I didn't actually taste it until I'd finished it. And it was gone. I couldn't go, oh, that was really nice. I'll have a little bit more because it was gone. And I was thinking, and I shared with uh, two guys I went running with yesterday uh, morning, that actually... You need to slow down in order to taste things. You need to pause in order to taste things, drawing it to mind. And in the times where you are not feeling the goodness of God, pause, seek God, worship him, declare his goodness. But ask God to help you experience and to taste what he is like in his goodness. I believe God wants to use um, a verse from Nahum, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, for someone today. That the, it just says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. I didn't put it on a slide, but I just feel it was right to share that the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in, in him. God is a good father. We're to seek him. We're to celebrate him. We're to experience his goodness. And ultimately, we see in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, God's goodness displayed. And some people would say, well, how's the cross a, um, a representation of God's goodness? How can a good person dying be good If you are questioning the goodness of God, have a good long look at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Because goodness itself was put on a cross. Jesus dying on a cross, displaying perfect goodness and love, mercy and grace. God displayed his goodness on the cross through Jesus' obedience, and he, he shows us what submission means. And there may be times where we aren't feeling or seeing God's goodness, and God just says, just trust me, submit to me, allow me to define goodness and not you. I will bring you through this. And in Jesus, as we look back to the cross, we see him submitting to the goodness plan of God's. Maybe we need to become more like Jesus in that submitting our lives as a result of, of his example. But also as we do so, we experience the goodness of his resurrection. In the prayer room, there's a wonderful uh, verse from, um, from, from the Gospel of John. It says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And I believe that God wants to resurrect in us today. An awareness of his goodness 
so that we are people who live as a result of his goodness and experiencing the goodness of his resurrection of life and joy and hope and peace and wholeness. But to do that, we need to be open to his spirit and open to his words rooting us in his goodness. So I'm going to pray now. And um, Kirsty and the, um, the worship group will lead us in a song that they, they played at the very beginning. And it, it speaks of different situations that we may face, that we may go through, and it then chooses to declare that God still reigns and that God is still God and good. And I pray that God will minister to us by his Holy Spirit through it. And then we'll stand together and sing and bring our service together to a close. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good. Even when we don't feel it or see it, we say and declare that you are good. And I pray that for those of us in this room or on, online that are not feeling it or seeing it today, not feeling or seeing your goodness, or times in our future where we don't experience it, Help us to pause. Help us to know truth from your words, revealed by your spirit. Help us to be like Habakkuk, seeking out your answer and your expression of goodness. Help us to be like him and choosing to worship you, declaring your greatness. Help us to be like David and to experience, to taste your goodness and kindness. Help us to be people who know and submit to your goodness and then experience and live in the goodness of your resurrection and life. In Jesus' name, amen.